Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys have been on a road trip before? Like a long road trip, raise your hand. Right? Road trips, right? Uncle's the best, right? No? All right. Different sentiment. But road trips are a part of life, right? I mean, there are many different things that can happen on a road trip. I mean, you are, tra one, traveling long hours. You may be in a car, you may be in a van, or, but you're in close proximity with some people, and you don't know what you might hear, what you might see, or what you might smell. <laughs> many things could happen on a road trip. For my parents in the audience, you guys know this for sure. For if you had any kids on a road trip, what's the one question that you're going to get asked a thousand times? Are we there yet? Without fail, it's going to happen. I have so many memories about road trips. I remember one in particular, uh, me and my family, I'm from Dallas, Texas, and my father is from Gonzales, Texas, which is South Texas. Small country town. And every summer, when I was younger, uh, we would travel to go see my mama Dorothy. And while, what I love about going to Gonzales is, yes, to see mama Dorothy, but to see my, my cousin Troy, he always had the latest video games or the latest toys, and, or we could just run around the streets all day and just play. And I always love hearing my mama Dorothy say, y'all better not let all that good air come out of my house. Clothes on the store, either going to be in or be out. Choose, but don't come in and out of this house. Some of y'all probably had grandmas like that, right? Even though she was yelling, I just loved it. I loved being there. It was a great place to be. But it was an eight or nine hour drive to get to Gonzales. And every year without fail, my dad would put us all in a van, he'd grab a couple of pizzas, to eat on the way, grab some drinks, and then he'll put a movie on the, on the screen in the van. And it was Waterboy. Silly, silly movie. But me, my dad, and my brother, we can quote that movie from beginning to end. It's just a family thing that we do. And that's the thing about road trips. You know, road trips is not always about the destination, right? The destination is great. But typically what makes road trips great is the people that you travel with. It's the people that you're traveling with. For the next several weeks, uh, we'll be going through a sermon series called On the Way. On the Way. It's where we'll be talking about a package of psalms. It's called the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent cover Psalms 120 to 134. It's around 15 psalms, but these psalms were uniquely designed for the nation and the people of Israel. They were psalms that Israel used to sing on the way as they hiked up the mountain to Jerusalem. These were songs that were very close and dear to them as they traveled to their holy city. Because they knew that, yes, they're going to be celebrating some feasts and do a lot of things that Israel's do, that Israelites do. But more importantly, they knew they were going to be with God. Pastor Ben kicked us off last week and he talked about the pilgrimage and that a lot of times on this pilgrimage, you're going to experience some trouble. But he gave us hope at the end of that sermon to let us know that you may experience trouble now, but trouble will not last always, right? This morning, we're going to look at Psalms 122. And this psalm is about arrival. It's about arrival. It's about uh, uh, them traveling this long journey 
and them looking forward to get to their destination. It's a song of arrival. Thousands and millions of Israelites traveling to the city, but they can't wait to get there. So I want to talk from this talking point. You see it on the screen. Well, you may see it on the screen. But it's about gathering with God's people. What's that about? What does it mean to gather with God's people? And this is what David is going to talk about in Psalms 122. Let me pray and then we'll get right back into it. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for uh, allowing us just to come together as your people. So God, I ask that you uh, be with us. Holy Spirit, come and sit and rest here in this place. We need you. We want you. We invite you into our hearts, into this place so we can hear your word. But more importantly, Lord God, we will be changed by your word, God. Let it be done in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Where we see that we should look forward to gathering with God's people. We should look forward to gathering with, uh, gathering with God's people. Look at verse 1 and 2. David says, I was glad when they said to me, or if you're reading the King James Version, like John said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. You see, if you've been at church at any point in time, you probably heard this scripture a million times over. But it'll do our heart well to stop and pause and really consider what David is saying when he said, I was glad when they said to me. Because hmm. remember the context. David's writing to a people on a journey. He's a people on a journey. And these people were traveling to Jerusalem and they did not want David to miss the trip. They wanted David to come along. So they said to him, come with us. They extended him an invitation. And when David heard the invitation, he says, I was glad. That word glad is a, is a, is a, is a verb. It has, it has the, the implication that he was visibly joyful. So he wasn't, when he heard the invitation, he was like, Really? I think I might accompany you on that journey. When David heard, David, you should come with us right now, man. We're going up to Jerusalem. For real? Seriously? <laughs> Count me in. I'm on board. Count me in. I want to go to Jerusalem. It was a joy that he couldn't contain. He couldn't hide it. It was written all over his face. He couldn't keep it inside his soul. Why? David knew what Jerusalem represented. He knew that Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the place where the temple stood. You see, Jerusalem, the holy city where the temple is, God made it very clear from the Old Testament that Jerusalem is where his presence will be. Jerusalem is where God dwelt. And as they're making this hike to Jerusalem, they know they're going to meet God. This is their chance to go worship. This is their chance to be in the presence of the living God. And when you know that, it changes you. It changes your demeanor. You don't, you can't sit still. You can't be quiet. You have to lift your voice. You have to be excited. They didn't know that. <laughs> and not only that, it says this in verse 2, it says, 
when he stepped in Jerusalem, because it says within their gates, that means they've arrived at Jerusalem. It's almost, David, it's almost like David took a pause to take it all in, to let it sink in. It's, very, it's likened to Wind, Florida. It's likened if we go to Orlando and you go to Disney World and you step into one of those parks, maybe Magic Kingdom, Epcot, or whatever park you're in, but you step in those gates and you look at the Magic Kingdom like, wow. This is going to be amazing. That's David. He looks at Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem. He says, wow. I'm in the gates where God is. I'm in the gates with my people. And we're about to have some fun. We're about to worship the living God. Well, because you know that's why you were created, right? Talk about it. Every person in this room, <coughs> you were created to worship. You were created to give glory to God. <coughs> I love it what the Westminster Confession says. It says this. It says, what is the goal of man? It says this. It's the chief goal of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. David understood this. That I get a chance to be fully in the expression of who I'm meant to be. Because you're not living if you're not worshiping God. He understood it. And the same goes for the Christian today. What the Old Testament Jew represents in Jerusalem is what the church is today. The house of God was the temple, and the house of God is where we're standing right now. And we get to come together as a people to worship and glorify God Almighty. That's something to be excited about. No way should you be coming in here down. But that's not always the reality. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's keep it real. Right? When we're in our lives, everything is not always glad. Some of us are mad that we are here at church right now. I understand and I get it. If anybody don't understand, I get it. Because I grew up with a drug problem. I grew up with a drug problem. Every Sunday morning, my mama drugged me to church. <laughs> Every Sunday night, my mama drugged me to church. Monday night, I was at Bible study, she drugged me there. Every Wednesday night, she drugged me to a choir rehearsal. I had a drug problem. And some of y'all probably had the same kind of problem. And you're mad. Why do we have to come here every single day? There are other stuff to do. <laughs> We're supposed to mad. But that's not how we face. Some of us, we have other struggles that we have. That we have. Some of us look at our lives and we look at our lives and it's falling apart. You look at the doctor bills and they just keep piling up. And you look at your bank account and it keeps shrinking. You fill out countless applications for a job. But yet you get no call back. You look at your relationships and what you thought was going to be a forever union turns to be a broken marriage. Things are not always glad. It gets harder and harder to balance wife, kids, and your job. And to be more important, I'm going to speak from my own experience. A lot of times when we come to, the, to worship, 
but sometimes worship feels more like work. It's not always glad. And all those things may be true, but I'm going to tell you something my mom used to tell me when we're driving up, getting drunk to church in the car. And me and my brothers and my sister, me and my brother and my sister, we may be roughhousing, we may be talking loud, listening to music, doing our own thing, but my mom would look at her and she says, she was looking at rearview mirror and she said, okay, I need you guys to turn around. I need you guys to still your hearts and quiet your minds. We're about to go into worship. Or as she says, worship. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Well, there's an O there, but. but well, my mom understood and what David understood that as the Israelites were tracking up to Jerusalem, the reason they were singing these songs is because they're priming themselves to enter into God's presence. It was like the appetizer to the main course. You're making yourself ready to enter into God's presence. You are focusing your mind to meet God. And yes, all those things may be true and hell may be going around all around you right now. But what David says you're a child of God, you always got a reason to be glad. Because as they were singing those songs, they remember the time when they were once in slavery and God rescued them from the Egyptians. As they were marching up the mountain, God, they remember that God made a covenant with them that he would never leave them nor forsake them. And the same is true for us today. No matter where you find yourself this morning or throughout the week, there's always a reason to look forward to come to the church house because you know that the God who saved your soul is there. And you know that he's going to meet you there. We should look forward to gathering with God's people. We should be glad. But not only that, you see in verses 3 through 5 that there are some benefits to gathering with God's people. There's some benefits. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. It says this, says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. Hmm. Now, when he's talking about Jerusalem, he's actually talking about actual city. This is not a metaphor. He's talking about an actual city. And Jerusalem was the, the epicenter of where all things of Israel life was taking place, right? But what he's also saying here is that Jerusalem is more than just a city. It's more than just an ordinary town. He was saying that God was making it clear that the house of the Lord, the temple, the city, was not just a place, but it's more about a people. He was saying that when it comes to the temple for them, and when it comes for the church, for us, this four walls do not define the church. Amen. You in the seats define the church. We are not confined to buildings and mortar, and, and we're not defined by those things. The church is the people of God. And when we all come together, he says, you have a community. That's the benefit of gathering together, that you were never meant to be in isolation. You were meant to be in a community. As a matter of fact, he says, I have you in a community because it's a reflection of who I am. I am God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm a community within myself. And when I create my people in my image, they too will be in community. We're part of a community. 
That's, that's why God brought us here. And I love how he says that the church was bound firmly together. In other words, it says it's an unshakable union that cannot be broken, but it's, but it's held together by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way to gain access to this community is to place your faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, what David is saying, you are now no longer by yourself, but now you have been brought into a family that cannot be broken. That's deeper than even some of your own family bloodlines in real life. He said, this is deeper than that. This is something that God has put together. I love what Revelation 7 9 says this. It says, after this, this is John talking, and he's looking out at what heaven would look like. He says, it says, after this, I look and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, this community, this community is not, is not a monolith. This community is diverse. Hear what he said, all the tribes of Israel, all the nations, tongues, backgrounds, ethnicities, this is what comprises the community. It's a diverse community. And what God is saying, I'm not calling you all to look alike. I'm calling you all to be one. You guys will have unity, not uniformity. <laughs> and you know what? Spurgeon says this. He says it very well. He says, Israel was one people, but yet it was since divided by the mere surface distinctions of tribes. And this may be a lesson to us that all called Christendom essentially are one. Though from various cause we are divided into tribes, let us make as much possible sink the tribal individuality into the national unity so that the church may be many ways but one seed, many branches but one tree, many members but one body. Y'all hear that? One body. And you know what? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had it right. He had it right when he made the astute observation when he said the most segregated hour in the Christian church in America is 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. And church, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. Matter of fact, that's why I chose Strong Tower to come. This is why we plant this church. This is why we want to plant other churches because we want to see that observation to be reversed. We want to see the most diverse hour other in America is at the church house. That's where it should be. That's where it should happen. We should be diverse. But not only that, he says... One benefit of gathering together with people is there's justice. There is justice. Look at verse 5. Look what he says. In verse 5, he says this. He says, the throne, their thrones for judgment were set. And when you hear this, when you see that word judgment, that means that to be set right. Okay? Thrones were the house of David. See, one of the promises that God made to David, he said he will always have a king on the throne forever. 
And we know that Jesus is in the bloodline lineage of, uh, of David. And with Jesus sitting on the throne, he says, whenever you come to Jerusalem, whenever you come to Jerusalem, there was supposed to be um, many courts for justice to be had. See, back during that time, of course, they had different tribes. But those tribes would have many different civil disputes among themselves. If they could not be resolved, on the days that they would go up to Jerusalem, they would take their matters to the courthouse of Jerusalem. And there, the statutes of God, the word of God would set everything right. He says, if any place should have justice where evil is corrected and good is honored, it should be the place of God. It should be the place of God. We're not talking about party lines here. We're not talking about upholding power here. We're talking about what is right. Executing justice rightly. And as one of your leaders here, we're in a pivotal year in 2020. There's an imminent election coming, yes. But we're at a tipping point when it comes to the unity of the church in America right now. I'm not talking about who you're voting for. I'm talking about justice being executed rightly. See, what David is saying, what we should be keeping our eyes into, is that when there are injustices going on in our society, he's calling the church, you got to speak into that. When there are injustices going on in your neighborhoods, if you live there as the church, I need you to step into that. No longer can we stay on the sidelines being passive or turn turn a a blind eye to this. God is calling us to step into this. The world is watching. Because when the world sees, when the world sees everything going on around them, they know something's off. But when they look at the church, they should be able to look at the church and say, something's different there. Something seemed like it's right about what's going on there. And what David is saying for Jerusalem and what David is saying for us as the church today, do justice. That's what he's calling us to. And we don't do these things for applause. We do all these things, pursuing diversity, pursuing justice. We do all these things because we want to give thanks to God. That's what he says in the text. We do all these things to give thanks to our God. You see, when you have been in the presence of God, it overflows and it spills onto other people. It blesses other people. Proverbs 11, 27, it says that when the people of God there, the city is blessed. That's, that's why we should be glad. That's why we should be glad to come into the church house. In 1992, in the summer of Olympics, in the summer Olympics of, of Barcelona, uh, it is said that the greatest symbol um, of talent in any sport came together. If you were watching basketball during that time, you may know what I'm talking about. It's the dream team. Never before have we ever seen such talent come together. I mean, you had guys who had various different status, celebrity, wealth, but they all came together on one team. Never before have we ever seen, have we ever seen 
a roster that is simple of 12 players, and 11 of those players are in the Hall of Fame. Never before have we seen a dominant basketball team that every team that they play in the Olympics, they beat on an average of 40 to 50 points. Sheer dominance. And on, the, on this team, you had guys like the like of the great white hope, Larry Bird. On this team, you have Irvin Magic Johnson. On this team, you know he's on there. The GOAT, Michael Jordan. We can debate later. But MJ, on this team, and a slew of others, but they all come together. A Boston Celtic, a Phoenix Suns, uh, San Antonio Spurs. They all come together and they lay aside their jersey to all to pick up one jersey. All for one purpose, all to one end, to represent one country, to win one goal. And one journalist said, I think he said it rightly, he says, when they play, you saw basketball play in the most purest fashion. When we look out at the church, when when David is writing about Jerusalem and all the tribes coming together, what he's saying is, he says, I see a dream team. I see a dream team that's diverse, that's able to lay aside the preferences, that's able to lay aside what they think ought to be to say the greater goal is that we all be together. He says, when I see the dream team of Israel, when I see the dream team of the church, I see, I see a people that when injustice happens, they move into it. They don't shy away from it. He saw, he saw people united under one name, under one banner, Jesus Christ. With a dream team, church. When I look, as I'm looking at you right now, I can name at least six or seven different nationalities and ethnicities that are assembled all in our roof, and it's beautiful. I love it. I'm not going to name it. I ain't going to have anyone of y'all saying you left me out, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but we all coming together under one name. It's Jesus. That's the main point. The dream team, guys. We're the dream team. <laughs> but, so we see, we should look forward to gathering with the church. Okay? The benefits from gathering with the church. Community, diversity, you know justice is going to be executed rightly. But then he said that's the third thing that we, that we have when we gather together. He says this, he says to prayerfully seek the good of others. Look at verse 69 with me. He says this, he says, pray for peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. You see, David is admonishing the people of God to pray for the peace to be all over Jerusalem. He's praying not a peace that you may be thinking of. 
He's not praying a peace in the sense of the absence of conflict or the absence of arguments. He's not praying for that. He's not praying. When you see that word peace, it's the word called shalom. You've never heard the word before. But when you hear the word shalom, in the Hebrew, what it speaks to, it speaks to a holistic peace. It speaks to your body. It speaks to your soul. It speaks to your mind. It's a holistic peace. And what David says, pray for that, for the people of God, that holistically, that we would have peace. You see, if your heart is filled with the love of God, it will be controlled in the worship of God. Then, he says, don't just pray for that for for your brothers. He says, pray for that for the whole world. Not just people in the church house, but pray for that for people outside the church house. See, I love it because it says in verse 9, the people of God ought to, the people of God from being in the presence and being in the community of God and being in his presence, it should lead us to do two things. It says in verse 9, it says this, it says, for the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. It's two things in this verse, two things. David understood two things. One, he says, I will seek your good. That word seek, that word seek speaks to the intentionality. It speaks, it speaks to thoughtfulness. It speaks to a person making every effort for another person. You see, this I will seek is directly tied to the good of the other person. It's key. My seeking directly affects another person's good. Okay? Point to see. He says this. He says, in other words, another person's good is directly affected by my efforts to bring that about. To bring good for a person, I would need, there is a, there may be a time where I may need to reorient my life to make sure that you have shalom. For you to have shalom, for you to have peace, for you to have good in your life, it may cause me to change my work schedule so I can bring, so I can spend time with you. It may change the way I do dinner time with my family so I can create space for another person at my table. It may say, lay aside some of your preferences when it comes to worship so that others can feel comfortable. Intentionality. It doesn't happen by happenstance. It doesn't just happen. And he's got what David is saying. He says the good of the person depends on us being intentional. The second thing we're going to see is that the motivation of why I seek the good of others is directly is directly connected to God's presence. The first thing he says is, I will, for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek the present for your good. Let me put it to you another way. When I see that God is good, I seek to do good for others. See how those two things are connected? So if I'm, if I'm 
have a habitual lifestyle of not seeking out on how to do good for others, one can question, do you see God rightly? That is what David is saying. It's connected to the presence of God. When we dwell in the, in the place of God, when we're in his presence, when we're with his people, my eyes are open because I know God was intentional with me, so I'm intentional with you. I, I ask you, how can I pray for you? I ask you, how can I serve you? I ask you, I'm thinking about you in many different ways because I've been with God. One of my mentors, he travels a lot. He flies all over the world to, to speak uh, at different churches and conferences and stuff. And throughout his time, he has uh, accumulated a certain amount of points, and it has caused him to be in the Diamond Club of Delta. There's some benefits that come from being in the Diamond Club of Delta. One is that he gets first dibs at first class seats. So one day he's traveling, and <clears throat> he's traveling, and he starts to bring his wife with him. Now, when they get to the, when they get to the kiosk, <clears throat> they say, oh, we see you in the Diamond Club. Sir, we have a seat right here for you. But his wife is not Diamond Club. And like any wise man, how are you going to look when you are in first class and your wife is in coach? It's not a good look. So what he decides to do, he decides to forfeit his first class seat and gives it to another person so that he can sit next to his wife. He, <laughs> so he can sit next to his wife. He says, you know what? I'm going to reorient my privilege. I'm going to reorient my status so that I can be with the one I love. And not only that, I'm going to bless another person because of my status so they can see and experience first class. You see what's going on here? David says, when you seek, I will seek your good. When you're a child of God, you have a certain privilege. You have a diamond club status. You are a child of God and there's certain things that other people do not have. And when you Leverage your privilege and your status as a child of God to bless another person. For the people in your family, it makes them feel good, makes them feel loved because I know that you care about me. You're willing to give up something so you can be with me. But then to the outside world, when you give up something, it blesses them at the same time. Y'all not getting it. Jesus was in heaven, in the diamond club of heaven. And what he did, he says, I want to seek the good of those people that will be mine. So he says, I'm going to give up my seat in heaven. And I'm going to come and embody a human body so that I can be with them. My presence will be with them. And so that they can be with me, I'm going to take your coach seat. I'm going to take your coat seat at the cross. And I'm going to take the nails and the sin, and I'm going to take the death that you deserve so you can have a first-class seat in heaven. What David is saying, 
when you seek the good, when you prayerfully seek the good of others, you're taking after Jesus. Jesus is saying, I gave up. I'm going to turn to the pastor. You can hear it. It's just coming off the top of the head. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me just read it for you. So there, if there's any encouragement, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort for the love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, compete and being the same mind, having the same love and full accordance with one mind. Hmm. He says this. He goes on to say that God left the thrones of heaven. He emptied himself so that he could be in community with us. Another passage says, is that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we may be the righteousness of God. That's prayerfully seeking the good of others. He said that I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to reorient my life. I'm going to change things up so that others will benefit. So the question is, the one question that I have for you, Does your time with God lead you to do that? Does your time with God lead you to prayerfully seek those who may not be with you? David understood that. He said Jerusalem needs to understand that. And we as a church need to be embodying that. I pray that over Strong Tower this year. I'm just worried about this year, but this year that we'll be willing to prayerfully seek the gathering of God's people. Because we know there, I'm not the only one that's going to be glad. There may be stuff going on around me, there may be stuff that may be going bad in my life, but I know when I'm at the church house with my people, with my community, I'm going to feed off your spirit. You're going to feed off mine. I may have came in a little down, but I'm going to have a pick-me-up because I know other people are here for the same reason I am, and that's to worship God Almighty. Amen? Amen. And then you also know that I have a community, that I'm not alone in this life, and my community is going to be diverse. My community is going to pursue justice because that's what God cares about. That's what Jerusalem is supposed to be about. That's what the church is supposed to be about. And then lastly, he knows I know the people he has my back. The people, I am going to reorient my life so I can seek the good of others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.